we're taking, uh, celebrating communion, which we do a couple times a year here at Woodland Hills Church, and, and as is our custom, on communion Sundays, we don't really give a sermon. Uh, we give what we call a Bible meditation. Now, no one's quite sure what the difference is, except the, sermon, the, the Bible meditation is supposed to be a little different. So I want to meditate on a passage of Scripture this morning. We'll be getting back to Hebrews. We will at some point, I promise you. Uh, in fact, being a professor, I want to give an assignment to all of you for next week. Um, Hebrews 7, we're entering into Hebrews chapter 7, and I, I, I want to assign, I can't grade you on it unfortunately, but I want to assign you to read Hebrews 7 by next week, because I think I might just preach on the whole thing. It's a, it's a hard passage to preach, because the whole thing is interwoven, you can't pick it apart. So read the whole of chapter 7 of the book of Hebrews for, for next week, that's your assignment. I, I, I'm so tempted to give a quiz uh, next week. Um, and you're not allowed to put anything in the offering unless you pass the quiz. That, that wouldn't work, would it? Okay. I want to uh, meditate on uh, Matthew, the book of Matthew, chapter 18. We're talking on a topic that is uh, profoundly important to us. It's a message of forgiveness. It, it's intricately tied up with uh, what communion is all about. And the passage I want us to reflect on a little bit is Matthew 18. Starting with verse 23. The kingdom of God, Jesus said, and I'm reading out of the New Revised Standard Version. The kingdom of God is, it can be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. Slaves in those days were not, um, they're not like slaves in pre-abolition south where they, were, they weren't paid or anything. That was just the term that they used. But they were hired hands. Uh, but didn't have any rights of their own. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, 10,000 talents was about the equivalent of 15 to 16 uh, years' wages. Okay, it would take 16 years to earn this much money, assuming uh, you didn't spend it on anything else. You, know, you didn't eat for 16 years. If all your money went to uh, paying off this debt, it would take you 16 years to do it. He couldn't pay his Lord, so the Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all of his possessions and payment to be made. Now that looks like a real cruel thing, but it's not. That, well, it is cruel, but in the first century, this was standard protocol. If you're this much in debt, uh, you get sold. And uh, so the, the, the master here was simply doing what was standard legal procedure. The one thing that's odd about it is that it took him 16 years to get to this point. Usually they would cash in right away. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. Note, the, the servant asked to have, for the Lord to have patience with him, but the Lord went way beyond that and said, Well, I'll forgive the whole thing. I'll erase the whole thing. It never happened. It's done. That same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, which would be about a hundred days' wages, about a third of a year. One forty-eighth of what he had just been forgiven. Boy, that was quick. Ooh, I'm so smart. <laughs> and seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay me what you owe me. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I will repay you everything. We've heard that before, haven't we? But this slave refused to forgive him. 
And he went and threw him into prison until, until he could pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to the Lord all that had taken place. Then this Lord summoned him, and then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slaves as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. The central thrust of this whole parable is to impact us on how incredibly urgent, a matter of urgency, that we get rightly related with one another, that we forgive one another. And so I want to, before we embark on just talking about this passage a little bit, pray that God will impress on us just how huge this particular topic is and help us to take it to our heart and pray that God will have his way in releasing us uh, to, to be forgiving and to be forgiven from the debts that people owe us and the debts that we owe others. Let's pray. Father, let your spirit reign here. Have your way here, Father. Holy Spirit, flow through this place. Flow in and out of our hearts, Lord. Soften our hearts, soften our minds, Lord God, that we could uh, be open to hear your word. Lord, you came to set the captives free, and one of the things that we really know from our own experience is that unforgiveness is bondage. Set us free, Lord. Set us free, Lord. Every person here, Lord, I pray, God, we could walk out of here free, Lord, or at least with a commitment to get free. But your spirit has to be working in this, Father. We don't do it by our own self-effort. So use the words here, Lord God, to create in us the forgiveness that you want there to be. In your name we pray. Amen. I don't believe that there's anything that is more beautiful than, than forgiveness. Um, I also don't think that there's anything more ugly than unforgiveness. And there's nothing more healing, more wholesome than forgiveness. To say, I forgive you. I forgive you. Or to say, will you please forgive me? It's almost like magic because it's the one thing that can restore broken relationships. There's nothing more healing than that. At the same time, there's nothing more destructive than refusing to do that, to hanging on to the unforgiveness that is there in our life. But it's not always easy to forgive, is it? It's not always easy. I several or recently, uh, several weeks ago, talked with a young man, well, middle-aged man. He's my age, so I guess he was young. And um, we're in a question and answer sort of a format. I was speaking to a bunch of people, and, and the format here was, was that they were going to ask questions, and I'd answer them. And this man asked this question, and it really gets to the heart of what we're talking about here this morning. He said, let's suppose that there was a, um, uh, a young man abused by his father. Uh, and this abuse occurred over a long period of time, starting from the... From the time that this young man was, was almost an infant, and it continued on through the greater part of their life. And that father then, maybe towards the end of his life, becomes a believer, puts his trust in Jesus. Are you telling me that the, the slate would be wiped clean? What happens to all the wrong that was done to that little kid? And I responded by saying, well, uh, the blood of Jesus Christ would wash it away and would cover it. 
He said, so it would be like it never had happened. I said, yes, between the abuser and the Lord, that is how it would be. This man, you can see his jaw stiffen a little bit, and he goes, that is not fair. And I tried to reason with him. I, I said, it's not fair. It's better than fair. It's, it's gracious. And he said, but what happens to the wrong there? Does, does it just disappear? What happens to all the pain that was there? What does this say about that little kid growing up? It says, oh, well, I guess no one has to be punished for this. And I said, well, that's why Jesus Christ died on the cross. He paid the debt for the abuse that was there. This man, and at this point it became clear that he wasn't talking about a hypothetical father and a hypothetical son. He was talking about himself. And his eyes welled up with tears. He goes, but Jesus wasn't the one who abused the little kid. And if, and if, if you just let bygones be bygones in terms of the son and the father, then that says something about the value of that little kid. It means that God doesn't value that little kid. And there was a profound anger that was there. And I tried to say, well, you know, there needs to be forgiveness there. That since the father's been forgiven and the son, if he's a Christian, is forgiven, he needs to forgive that father. And this man, with just the pain in his face and his eyes, he said, well, that's not, it's easy to say, but that's very hard to do. In fact, it's impossible to do, he said. The man was locked in a prison, just locked in a prison. Just knotted up in a prison of, of woundedness. The assumption that is working in this guy's life, and it's the assumption that is behind everything about us when we don't want to forgive, or when we don't want to ask for forgiveness, is this. This man was assuming that his worth was somehow tied up in what his father did to him. You see, when someone wrongs you, when someone, maybe it's a little thing, they just offend you, or maybe it's a huge thing. Maybe they beat the tar out of you when you're a little kid. Maybe they abused you. But when someone wrongs you, it feels like a part of you gets robbed, doesn't it? It feels like you have an, 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 an intrinsic value, an intrinsic dignity, an intrinsic worth, and when someone wrongs you, they insult you, they undermine you, they hurt you, they wound you, they're saying that you're not worth much, and so they're like robbing it from you. And so it feels like they owe you it back. Give me that dignity back. Give me that worth back. And it feels like by being angry at them, by, being, by wanting vengeance on them, it feels like we're holding on to our worth. We're, we're saying, it's, it's a, like this, this guy, was, it, by hanging on to his anger, was saying, um, no, Dad, you were wrong in what you did. I have worth. And somehow being angry is the way you convince yourself of that. You're hanging on to your worth. That's why the idea of, of releasing his father, he couldn't do it because that would have meant acknowledging that what his father did to him was appropriate or was okay, that he really is so invaluable, just abused. So the way he survives, the way he gets by is by hanging on to his bitterness, hanging on to his anger, hanging on to his rage, not wanting his father to be forgiven because that's the only way he can hang on to his worth. You stole something from me. And somehow you think you're getting it back by being angry. So of course, when you say you need to release your father, you need to turn him over to Jesus, you need to get, get this thing done with, 
He hears that as saying, you need to admit that you're a worthless, abusable little kid. And he can't do it. He can't do it. Examine it in your life. We've all struggled with this to to, to different degrees. When there's someone you need to forgive. Isn't it? I mean, sometimes the anger takes such a, it lodges at such a profound point in your being. And it's like, even if you know you need to get rid of it, even if you know it shouldn't be there, even if you know it's, it's wrong for you and even damaging for you to have it, it's like there's some part of you at some level that just says, no, I, I want it. It almost feels good, doesn't it? It does feel good. It's like, oh, I, you know, just, I'll never talk to them again. I will show them. I'll, uh, you know, I'll, uh, well, maybe I'll go over to their house, but I'm not going to talk to them or I'll just, just be snippy with them or, or I'll forget their birthday or whatever. But you hold it. You internalize it. It's there and it feels like you're getting even, which is to say it feels like you're getting your worth back. And it's a tremendous prison. Several things to think about with regard to this whole thing. It is hard. It is hard. And I'm talking from experience here. Especially in stuff that happens when you're a kid. It's very hard. You grew up with this. You're holding on to yourself, your identity. And now you've got to release it. But it is so urgent that we do release it. The first thing to understand is this. It feels like... I, Empowered. It feels like you're getting even. It feels like you're getting your worth back. It feels like by having the anger there, by trying to make their life miserable, or by praying for vengeance on them, it feels like somehow you're getting even and you're establishing your worth. But you know what? It is a lie from the enemy. It is a lie from the devil. And you just need to see it for what it is. It feels like you're being empowered. But the truth of the matter is, is that you're being further disempowered. It feels like you're getting life, but the truth is that that anger is sucking life out of you. It feels like you're getting your worth back, that they're paying your debt. The truth is, is that not only are you not getting any of your worth back, you yourself are losing worth, or you're, you're continuing to pay the debt. They probably don't even care what you think about them. They don't give a rip about you. Their life goes on. They probably don't even think about you. I don't know what the situation is, but... You're not getting anything from them by being angry with them, by being unforgiving, by being bitter, by thinking about it all the time. You're paying the price. You are giving them the authority to define you. By continuing to hang on to this bitterness, you are saying, I give you the right to make me bitter. I give you the right to make me angry. I give you the right to just pollute my life. You're, can you, you continue to be a victim of them, which means you continue to invest them with the abusing power that they originally had. And you're the one who pays for it. It's such a device of the devil. It feels like, like, like the more angry we get, if we can just show, punish them, then, then, we'll, then we'll have our worth back. But it's such, a, it's such a lie. You pay. You pay. One person I spoke with had trouble forgiving his father. But the price he paid for that unforgiveness was that his father was detached and his father was, was, was verbally abusive. And the price he paid by not forgiving is that, and this is one of the ways it come out, is that he would not allow himself to ever succeed. He had, a, he had a built-in failure mechanism that whenever success was around the corner, for whatever reasons, he, uh, he would screw it up. And, and until he could forgive his father, he couldn't get free from that sort of self-destructive mechanism. Another person I know spoke with, uh, or was, was bitter, justifiably, understandably angry, bitter at, at, at her ex-husband, uh, but couldn't release him of that. And the result was that she, her life was polluted with a sense of mistrust. She feared getting involved in any other relationship. 
The reality is, is when you hang on to unforgiveness, it pollutes your life like a, like a, a cigar in a closet. It, 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 uh, this is a, it smells up the whole thing. You can't compartmentalize it. It pollutes the, the why you'd smoke a cigar in a closet, I don't know, but, but it pollutes the whole room. Or you know, a cigar in an auditorium. You, you think you can contain it, but it, but it, it, it smells up the whole place. So it is with anger. So it is with bitterness. This, this, this desire for, for vengeance. It pollutes your whole life. It affects all of your relationship. It affects your outlook. It robs you to some degree, even if it's a small bit of unforgiveness. It robs you to some degree of the joy God wants you to have. It robs you to some degree of the peace God wants you to have. Sometimes it comes out as anxiety. Sometimes it comes out as depression. Sometimes it comes out as melancholy. Sometimes it just comes out as a kind of a submerged anger that's always there. Uh, it comes out of, as, as having an explosive temperament. In one way or another, guaranteed, you pay for it. You're paying for it. But the, the, the illusion is that somehow you're getting payment back. It is of the devil. It is so of the devil. Studies have shown, more and more evidence coming in on this, that this disposition affects us physically as well. Did you know that? Um, they, have, they have done studies, very conclusive ones now, that people who hold unforgiveness to the degree that that unforgiveness is deep and profound and defines them, they, to that extent are less able to fight off infections. They're less able to fight off cancer and various things that happen to them. They tend to get sick more often. It affects made to live like this. It also affects our relationship with God. To the degree that, our, that, that we have debts, that we keep a book account this way, okay, you owe me, I owe you, you know, and we're, we're, we have our little accountant thing here, and we're paying for that, or we think we're demanding payment for that by being angry, to that degree, our relationship with the Lord gets clouded. It gets clouded. The Lord's love for us doesn't get clouded, but our ability to receive that and our ability to walk in that gets clouded. It, it, it gets affected. There's no way that you can receive the full love of God, the forgiveness of God, the grace of God, the joy of God, all the stuff He wants to pour into our being. Because, because of, of the work of the cross, all of that will to some degree be compromised and infected if we're, if we're still trying to get this stuff out here. Oh, yeah, you owe me, you get, you know. It clouds it all up. This is why the Lord says it is such a matter of urgency. The whole point of this passage is it is a matter of urgency. Our relationship this way is affected by our relationships this way, for better or for worse. Get rid of it. Forgive it. Be released from it. Be done with it. So I told this, this man, this hypothetical boy that we're talking about here has got to let go. Has got to let go. You, you're going to carry this to the grave. And your father, or this boy's father, I kept it in the third person because he wanted to keep it that way. He's gone now, I presume, and he doesn't care, but you are the one paying for this. No one else is. You are. It's got to be released. And he goes, but how do you do that? How? You just can't wake up one morning. And do that, and that, that, this is a true thing. When there is unforgiveness in our life, it's not just a matter of willpower. Where you can say, okay, and this happens a lot. You need to forgive for now. You better forgive, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, then what happens is the person out of fear will say, okay, you know, I forgive you. Or says, will you please forgive me? They do the behavior, but this is why the Lord says you need to do it from the heart. And see, you can't just will your heart to change. So what do you do? And see, a lot of times this gets trivialized in the Christian community. Well, you just got to do it. Just do it. 
What you can just do is behavior. What you can't just do is heart sincerity. There's something greater going on here than just your behavior. Here's what needs to happen. As long as we hold that assumption that our worth is connected to what someone else does to us or doesn't do to us, you'll find it very hard and maybe like this man, impossible to release the person. You are made to have self-worth. God created you with that. You need to feel significant. You need to feel valued. You need to feel loved. That's a non-negotiable defining characteristic of your being. So of course, if you in your mind think that, what your father did or ex-spouse did or ex-fiancé or friend did somehow takes away from that, you're going to always be trying to get it back. That's the rage. That's the anger. What we need to see, if you're going to be able to release it, is you've got to reframe reframe what is true. All transformation comes from the transforming of your mind. Romans 12, 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Turn your mind to what is true. And what is true, Christians, this morning is this. Your worth, your value, your being ought not to be, and in fact, if you're a believer, is not defined by what anybody does or doesn't do to you. Amen? Your being, your intrinsic worth, your value as a human being is defined by, is constituted by, is given by your creator and your savior. And it ought not to be defined by anybody else. Believers, we need to understand this and, 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 and internalize it into the core of our soul. Your worth and my worth is defined by God. Your worth and my worth is defined by the one who created us. The only one who has the right to tell me who I am, and the only one who has the right to tell me what my value is, the only one who has the right to tell me what I am worth, is the one who makes me, the one who sustains me, and the one who gave his life for me. That's where your worth is. Amen. And all growth comes in the Christian life to the degree that you not only know that with your mind, but begin to internalize it into, into your heart. What it means is this. What Dad did to you is not about you. It doesn't reflect on your worth. You need to say that over and over again. It, it, it doesn't reflect on your worth. It's nothing about you. It's nothing about you. It's nothing about you. It was wrong. It was heinous. It was bad. It was gross. But it's nothing about you. It doesn't reflect on your worth. He may be... What is dead reflects on it, but from your inside being, knowing who you are in Christ, you got to know that who you are, who you'll ever be, is defined by God's love for you expressed on the cross of Calvary. That is your worth. And from a biblical perspective, here's what's true about your identity in Christ. Maybe dad didn't know it, maybe mom didn't know it, maybe grandma didn't know it, maybe friends and brothers and sisters and spouse doesn't know it, but God loved with an everlasting love, amen? You're embraced by the arms of God. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. His treasure is inside of you. You are, the Bible says, the apple of his eye. You are, the Bible says, one whom, whom he dances over and rejoices. You couldn't possibly have more value, more, more esteem before God than you have right now. He couldn't love you more because he loves you with the very same love that he has for his son, Christ Jesus. You have all the worth any being in the universe could ever have right this very minute. Amen? That's what's true about you. That's what's true. And maybe the people around you don't reflect that, and they therefore do things that say that you're not worth that. But healing comes, growth comes, transformation comes when you resolve it in your mind that only Jesus Christ defines who you are. No one and no thing else. See that. What that does is it means, since 
my worth isn't detracted from because of what so-and-so did to me, I'm free to release that person. I'm free to, there literally is no debt. My worth stays intact. Now, I'm mad because this person really screwed me up, perhaps, and prevents me from really enjoying that right now. But what has got to happen is for us to press on, get that truth rooted in our gut, and then release, and then release, and then release. You know, so many believers go along being, and, and I, I'm coming out at this from experience, from, from an abusive background, so I'm not trivializing it. But so often we invest people in our life, whether it's present people or past people, with an authority that they ought not to have. We literally make them God when we give them the right to define us. And that's what we are doing when we play a victim role. When we, when we keep on thinking and acting and feeling like victims in relationship to them, we're letting them be gods who define us. But there's only one God, there's only one Savior, and that's Jesus Christ. Withdraw that permission on their part to define you and give it to Jesus Christ. That's how all growth comes. And when that happens, when that is rooted, when it's solid there, you're in a position where you can then release them. Let them go. Let them go. It's not about you. It never happens. Let them go. A second thing. It's really just a subcategory. The first thing is this. This is what I told this, this man. Part of, what, part of how the cross reveals your worth is this. It, what happened to you was bad. No one's saying forgive and forget, let bygones be bygones. You know, this isn't a Pollyanna solution th thing here. No, what happened was wrong. And your intuition that the wrong should be punished. That intuition is a right intuition. That's, morality is like that. Wrongs should be righted. That intuition is right. There's nothing wrong with this. Since the way you acted towards me demeaned me, disvalued me, at least that's, uh, that, that's, your behavior reflected that, there's a price that should be paid. Sin demands a price. But what we need to see is that you don't need to see the person who did it pay it. You need to see the one who created you and defines you pay it. Since he defines you, he will say what your worth is by, pay, by how he treats the punisher. And what he does on the cross of Calvary is he takes all sin to himself. And if you want to see what you're worth by evaluating it on the basis of how wrongs done to you are punished, the place to look is Jesus Christ. You are worth so much that Jesus Christ went to this extent to right the wrong in your life. I told this, this, this man... The sin of your father is punished. It is punished in a way that reflects your worth. Look to Jesus Christ. And there see the value of who you are because Jesus was willing to do this for you. The price has been paid. You don't need to go through life hoping and wishing that your dad also individually would pay that price. It's been paid for. It wasn't forgotten. It wasn't, it wasn't just swept under the rug like, oh, I guess... That's, you know, okay. Families do that sometimes. Just do that sometimes. Oh, you know, it really was bad what that deacon did to you, but, you know, uh, deacons are human too, and, and sweep it under the rug, and let's not bring this out. Let's not make a big deal about this. You don't want to divide the church over this. It could get really messy. Uh, listen, he'll write a, uh, send you a card. You know, yeah, see, that, that's wrong. It sweeps, but God doesn't operate that way. God takes the full brunt of that sin, and he himself pays for it. Reflecting on your worth. Know who you are in Christ. Know what your, frame it like this. Know what your value is because God defines you. Know what your value is because he paid the price for you. And the third thing is this. Know, when you look to the cross, realize that it wasn't just, and I told this to, the, to this man, it wasn't just uh, 
your father's sin that Jesus paid, it was your sin. And if you understand how much you've been forgiven, if you frame it right, you'll have a motivation to begin to forgive him for what he did. This is what this parable that we read this morning is all about. When I look to the cross, there, I, if I'm looking with any kind of accurate perception, what I ought to see is this. I have been forgiven. I owed a debt that even I can't begin to comprehend. I was separated from the all-holy God. My thoughts and my intentions and my behaviors put me in a situation where I had incurred to myself an eternal debt. All of us are in this position. Were it not for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we would all be in a situation where we would spend eternity paying back what we owe. We would spend eternity separated from God, which is to say we'd spend eternity separated from love, separated from joy, separated from peace, separated from life itself. That's the situation we were in. We had a debt we could not pay except by paying for it eternally. And you don't have to understand how exactly that is, but you need to take it on faith that that was the situation. That's the debt we had. And the Lord God Almighty, the Creator, said, I forgive you. And it wasn't a cheap forgiveness. Look to the cross. It cost him something. It cost him everything. But he says, I forgive you. If you'll just say, yes, I forgive you. I have been forgiven an eternal debt. And next to that, every debt that I feel like is owed me becomes, comparatively speaking, insignificant. What was done to me and what I think this person owes me is nothing compared to what I owed God. And if I can see truthfully what I have been forgiven, how can I possibly hold others to that debt? This, this slave here had been forgiven 16 years' wages, but he wouldn't... And that was to a man who was above him, who was his superior, and now to one of his own fellow slaves, he wouldn't forgive 100 denarii. The Lord is saying it is urgent that we look to the cross and see our worth. It's urgent that we look to the cross and forgive those who have offended us. It's urgent that we look to the cross and we ask for forgiveness from those that we have offended. It's urgent that we look to the cross and then go out and do likewise. What the Lord is saying is our relationship here is affected by our relationship here, just like our relationship with one another is affected by our relationship with Him. He calls us to be a people that walk and talk and think and eventually feel debt-free release it this morning. Examine yourself and see, are there areas where you're holding on to maybe a wrong that you've done somebody else? Release it and ask for forgiveness. It doesn't lower your value. It, it puts you in a position where you can begin to appreciate your value. Or for a wrong that was done to you, maybe it was a spouse, maybe it was a parent, maybe, I don't know. But release it. Let it go. Let it go. One way to do that is just to, in your mind, some of us have stuff that we need to forgive, we need to release, and the person isn't even alive anymore. You still need to forgive. And maybe the other person doesn't even care, doesn't even want forgiveness. It doesn't matter. You are released from prison. The one key that can unlock prison's door is forgiveness. And you can release them. You releasing them doesn't require their cooperation. You just really, it doesn't mean that you're going to be best buddies. It doesn't mean that you're going to trust them. Some people are not trustworthy, but you can still in your heart release them. You're done. It's over with. No more accounting, no more debt, no more expectations, no more this. 
You have been forgiven an infinite amount. Release them. Your worth is settled on Calvary. Release them. The price for all wrongs done to you has been paid. Release them. Let it go. Sometimes it helps. I'll close with this. It helps to make it concrete. One person I know did this. They needed to forgive uh, their um, mother. The mother was dead. But they put a chair in the middle of a room. And they pictured her on that chair, and they talked with her there. And they just said, in, in essence, what you did was wrong. What you did was bad. I was angry about that. It, I, I'm still wrong at the behavior. But I release you. The debt, is, the debt is free. No more obligation. Someone did that to me, and it means I'm going to live eternally in heaven. I know I'll do it to you. That is the most, you want power? You want say so? This is the most powerful thing you can do. To say, you know what? It's not about my worth. That's settled. He settled that. Therefore, you know what? I release you. Or maybe in your mind, just picture the person that you need to release. Or maybe you need to picture the person that you need to be released from. And walking into the shadow of the cross, or in the shadow of the cross, extend forgiveness. Just release it. Let it go. And then the blocks between us and God are erased. We can receive and enjoy and walk in God's forgiveness. We can enjoy the peace and love of God's forgiveness. The cancer of bitterness and unforgiveness is rooted out of us. As we prepare our hearts for communion and Sandra comes forward, let me just lead us in a little prayer here. Father, you, you came to set the captives free. The enemy comes to make captives. He is the deceiver, and for so many of us, he is deceived into thinking that we need to hang on. But I pray, Lord, that we could let it go this morning. God, there are some people here who just need to be set free. It's been too long. They've been paying for this on their own for too long. The anger is so deep. Oh, God, the Holy Spirit be working in our minds to see the truth of who we are in you. Holy Spirit be working to soften our hearts. 